coming to you from the Sherpa Chalet at the top of beautiful downtown Mount Podcastia. It's a special episode of Too Many Podcasts. I'm Jim, the Podcast Sherpa, and today it's a special episode where I get to speak with people from the entertainment industry. So get yourself an aisle seat, pop up some popcorn, and get a cold drink ready, and sit back. Don't crunch too loud, or else you'll miss the interview from the Sherpa Screening Room. Ladies and gentlemen, we now bring you to the main event of this podcast. It is a handicap match in which two professional wrestlers will take on one podcaster in interviews. Let's hope he's got insurance. Oh, don't worry. I have insurance. I'm just hoping that I can run fast. Could I ever run fast? Mm, I guess that's debatable. Anyway, hi, Rebels of the Sherpolution. How are you? Jim the Podcast Sherpa here, and it is the pro wrestling edition of the Sherpa Screening Room. And I've got two interviews with two wrestlers, both who are currently involved in different projects outside of wrestling now, but they had a lot of interesting stories about the world of professional wrestling, and I figured I'd pair them together. Differing viewpoints from the guys, but they definitely had a love for sports entertainment, and they took great pleasure in entertaining the people. First, we will hear from Texas Truck Cheney. Then we will be hearing from Nikita Bresnikov. And Nikita was the manager, then tag team partner of pro wrestler Nikolai Volkov, and he also managed Volkov and the Iron Sheik. And as usual, today's podcast is being brought to you by Audible, and you can get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash Sherpa. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. All right, we're going to go down ringside, and we will speak to Tex first. Ladies and gentlemen, and rebels of all ages... In the ring for the Sherpa Screening Room interview is a big guy. He was a former professional wrestler, and he is now an, a model and an actor, and we are fortunate to have him here as our guest. Say hello to Mr. Texas Cheney. What's going on, truckaholics out there? I'm happy to be here. Good to see oh. everybody or hear everybody, everybody hear me. Um, well, let's get this interview going and see if we can't pick Truck's brain a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay, so Texas Cheney, that, that is your actual name. That's, that wasn't your ring name, right? Yes, that, that is my real name. I've had so many promoters in wrestling tell me, use your real name. And I'm like, no, hell no. You know, that is just something that you do not, you don't put your real name out there too often because of, you know, you got a lot of crazy folks like to drive up in your driveway, see where you live. You know, it's so easy. Um, I kind of left it in a, in a way where some people think that's a, a fake name, but it actually it is my real name. My, my uh, I can give a quick description of that. My uh, my grandfather, he was born in Houston, Texas, and um, that was not his name. His name was Wallace, but he named my dad that, Texas Cheney. And my dad named me that, Texas Cheney Jr. And that's a real name. It's uh, based out of, you know, coming from Houston, Texas. Uh, both of my fathers were sheriffs. My, my father and my grandfather were both sheriffs. So uh, <clears throat> I guess that name Texas was just, uh, I guess it was appropriate. 
and it has definitely sparked up some conversation pieces in my life. Let me tell you, <laughs> the <laughs> truck is my rest, my wrestling name. I I, I picked that out myself. Yeah, kind of like Texas Truck Shady, like like uh like the Rocky. For some time, he always went by the Rock, and he went by uh, Dwayne Rock Johnson. There, it just goes Dwayne Johnson. That's kind of where I probably plateau off when the movie industry has me a hundred percent. But certainly now, I'm I'm. This is my last year wrestling, and I could devote most of my time to the, uh, the screen right now. So when you first got started in wrestling, was there anything that piqued your interest? Did, did you go to a wrestling show and said, you know, that this is what I want to do? Uh, yes, it was, uh, you know, I've always wanted to wrestle when I was young. I was always in sports, football, baseball, boxing, uh, lifting weights. I was just always very athletic my whole life since I was eight years old. I was always lifting. I started very late in the wrestling. Uh, there's been a couple people to do that, which doesn't really matter. As long as you get to where you feel happy, that's all that matters. But I, uh, I was a late bloomer and started wrestling in my 30s, early 30s. I had uh, just looked all around and seen, uh, you know, looking for things. You know, I, I Googled it, and two closest shows were the two closest uh, training groups was in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is actually two hours uh, north of me versus seven and a half hours to Atlanta, Georgia. Those are the two choices. So I, I just caught up, and uh, the guys said they would like to meet me, and they said, I started wrestling immediately, you know, in this old school, I mean, I'm talking a dunk. But then when it rained, it rained on the ring. This is an old, rotten building, uh, just a rusty ring that had blood and puke and whatever, just gross. It was old school. I mean, you could just, I could draw a picture of it, you know. And then times 10 is how bad that would be. And I did really good. I started selling pretty fast after the first two weeks of training. I actually got my first paid wrestling business. I made five whole dollars. <laughs> so um, I was wrestling. I wrestled against, there was a handicap match. I wrestled uh, Mike Mosley and superstar Derek Kelly in Rayford, North Carolina. Okay, yeah, and you worked in different yeah. federations. Yeah, yeah. I've worked with WWE, TNA, NWA, AIWF, OSW. I've worked with all of them. They're good. They're good companies. You know, it's a cutthroat business. There's a lot of. Uh, I think WWE is probably the one that I don't know. A lot of guys can say I'm not knocking them, but they do things that are just. Uh, sometimes I'll shake my head like, God, you, know, you let let a, a great looking warrior go, pick a little fat guy, you know, that has to wear a t-shirt to go out to the ring because it's so fat. You know, I just don't get it. And I'm not knocking people. And I ain't saying any names, but you know, back in the gladiator days when people fought to their death, they looked pretty damn beefy and lean. You know, they were gladiators. They didn't look like something that just didn't look appropriate. But that's none of my business. I'm not the man that controls it. But there's a lot of people feel like I do. You know, back, let's say, for example, back in the 80s and 90s, the wrestling that you seen then is what I think wrestling should look like. You know, like when Stone Cold was there, uh, Goldberg, The Rock, you know, Triple H. You know, now you got these guys, they... They look like they're in a Halloween costume. You know what I mean? That's about sure. all I have to say about that part. I don't want to go too deep and people call me up, test me out. I didn't name their names. 
I'll protect you, Texas. Don't oh, worry. Thank you. Very often, pro wrestling tends to go through phases where it almost it goes through an over the top thing, and then I remember WWE had like what they called the attitude phase, and they they go to like to the extreme where it would be a little bit more outrageous. And then things kind of get toned down for TV, and then they swing the other way on the pendulum, I guess, to see what draws in the most viewers for the for the TV audience. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they're, that's what they're doing. And like I, you know, almost kind of like what you're saying, is, you know, if the Nelson reports wouldn't show them positive, they wouldn't be having those people on there. So it's doing something positive. The kids, and a lot of kids like some of the stuff this week. So. I'm not knocking it. Wrestling's wrestling. They're just uh, different eras. We're just going to have different perspectives, so... Like I said, it seems like I'm knocking it, but I'm not really knocking it. I guess it might sound like there's a form of jealousy, but it's not. It's just I've seen it go more from gladiator look to um, Halloween. But you know what I mean? It's kind of changed. <laughs> I remember there was this one kind of good example. There was this one show I used to wrestle at in Myrtle Beach. The promoter always wanted to he wanted to hire these guys that that wrestled like in chickens and clowns. They didn't want no big muscular guys working in the ring. And, and the kids liked it. That's why. The kids liked to see Mr. Rooster Man beat somebody up. So that's why that's who you started to hire. Started hiring comic book people. Yeah, I guess it's so, whatever pays the bills. That's right. Yeah, that's where the money's at, you know. If that's what they want to pay for, that's what you have to You know, like I said, I'm not really knocking it. It's just, uh, you know, I could probably go on and on like a person. It's part of the business. It's part of the business. Yeah, it's it's an observation from a man who's been through it. So that's, that's okay, Texas. Don't worry about it. Pro wrestlers are very well known for one thing, such Pardon? as... The, the big laundry list of injuries that they've had in the ring. Have you had an extensive amount of injuries, or have you been pretty lucky? Oh, no, man. I broke every bone in my body. I think the worst breakages I've had was my ribs, especially when it was just one moment that I had a... I had two ribs side by side on the front right. I had broken. I actually had a, I had a bad cold, and I was coughing. And I'll tell you what, you talk about some pain, coughing with broke ribs is no joke. I remember one time I was on the couch, and I was up in, a, was up in Raleigh in a hotel, and I was coughing so hard. I was just like, God, I wish I could cough. You know, next thing I know, I pass out and fall forward. I wake up on the floor. I, the pain was that bad. I'll never forget it. Like, man, if you haven't coughed and passed out because of broke ribs, you've never felt the pain. <laughs> I know there's some other pains, like internal organ pains, that are far worse. But yeah, that was probably my work, you know, busted head. But you know, wrestling is—it is fake. Um, it is—it's uh, a performance, just like a movie with physicality. And people are performing as they're—they're beating each other up in itself. Is there injuries? Are you really taking a suplex hitting the floor? Absolutely. You do get hurt. And you have to know how to do it right, too, which is really what it boils down That's to, right. right? Yep. The terminology of that is knowing how to sell and taking a fall. And you got to know how to do it right or you will get hurt. Yep. I don't know if a lot of people realize this about pro wrestling. How much time in the span of a year would you spend on the road? Oh, 270 70 days a week all the time, man. Here's like three quarters of the year. A lot of travel time. You can limit that. You can get paid less. You make more money the more you work. Sure, and I guess between the flights and the rental cars and the hotels, and you're probably the most seasoned traveler that that many people know. Yeah, you know, I don't know if this is true, but uh, I know um, with WWE, I've heard through the great man, like I said, I'm not saying this is a fact. This is what I've heard. But the way some of the contracts are being written, I heard that the guys were being responsible for their own hotel travel, all that, and that it would get a lump sum contract you say like you're off for $500,000 a year to work with WWE and I know someone right off and thinking about but I'm not going to say his name and he was responsible of that half a million dollars a year to pay for you know I'm talking overseas travels hotels 
And when you're doing 275 days uh, a, a year, you know, that half a million dollars gets eat up pretty quickly. So, you know, a lot of people are leaving because of the way their structure was getting paid. There. You know, they wanted a secret company to pay for the travel as well, hotel. Sometimes they wouldn't. You know, everybody's pay was based differently. There was no structural uh, payment there. Sure, and for being on the road that long, it's definitely got to take its toll on you, too. I, I would. Now, you did it for like 13 years, yeah. you said. Yeah, yeah, 12 years. Yeah, 12 years. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's been it's been fun though. You know, it's, you know, when you're younger, it's even more fun because you don't have to worry about a family. But if you do have a family, I can imagine how rough it must be. Uh, which at the latter part, I did have a, start having a family. I just couldn't see myself being away from them that much. But when you're young and you don't have a wife, kids be the best thing in the world. You know, you get to travel the world and you know, everybody loves to see you. you. You know, you definitely won't be alone, but you will certainly will have to you know come to the realization. You know, you don't you're not going to wake up every Saturday and cut your grass. Lights the Corvette and jump in your pool. It's not going to be like that. You're going to be go out food. You're going to be staying in different hotels. You know, accessible to so many different germs and viruses and stuff like that. You know, it's it does. It takes its toll on you. It, it beats you down like a tire getting worn down. You know, eventually just bald gets bald. In all that time, in that 12 years, did you have any favorite matches that kind of stick out in your memory? I think my favorite, one of my favorite matches was when I wrestled. I don't know why this was so good. I guess it's because of how, you know, the whole purpose of it's a show. You want to, you want to show the, the people out there. You want to give them a show. That's what they came to see. But I think the best show that I had, there's two of them. Uh, this one was years ago. I wrestled in West Virginia. I wrestled Tony Atlas. And, you know, that's, that's a big name. You know, he's sure. uh, all the famous. It was West Virginia. I mean, the town closed down, let me tell you. They knew wrestling was coming. They all closed down. I don't even think the fire department, police department would help you when the show was there. They were, I mean, they all were at the school. And there, there was probably, uh, there was over 4,000 people in the school. And the main event was me and Tony Atkins. We'd come out and he just... Uh, it was, he was the best guy to work. He really was. He was amazing to work. Uh, probably one of the best performers I've ever worked with, to be honest with you. We just, the, the, the crowd went nuts. Nuts. I mean, they were just, it was so loud. Uh, and I was so excited about it. I'll never forget it. Then the next one was uh, a match that I had with uh, in Atlanta with the Boogeyman. Remember the Boogeyman that eats worms? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I wrestled with him. And I uh, sometimes, if I have the room and opportunity, I like to come out on a motorcycle, a custom-made chopper. Uh, sometimes I can't do that because of the venue, things like that. There's, there's some uh, restrictions and what have you. But I come out and my motorcycle on the side at this big Civic Center one time. It was a packed house, and they popped so hard for me, hard for him when we got together. And then I mean, we had the lights out, you know, because he used to buzz it in. And it was just, uh, it was just when, when the crowd just, when the match goes right, and you go backstage and you feel like you both performed really well, and you know that crowd screaming at the top of their lungs, you know that was as good as you can get it. And those were the two that couldn't run up. Like you said, you're transitioning into doing some acting, and you did some TV work, and you've, done, and you've been in some movies as well. So before we uh, go into your, your acting career, I want to throw this question at you. I'm going to give you three acting wrestlers, uh, Dave Bautista, The Rock, and John Cena. Now the game is, which one do you want to act with, which one would you want to fight in a, in a match, and which one would you want to have a beer with? I mean, I would work with all three of them, but if you wanted me to take my top pick level, I'd like to work with Cena to have a beer with would definitely be Batista. Having a match with, I would love to work with The Rock. So how was it like for you to make the transition into acting? Well, you know, everybody has always had that in them. They're like, oh, Lord, I'd love to be in a movie. You know, I want to be an actor. Well, you know, you 
people say that, and then there's the people that really want to do it, and then there's the people that want to do it that do do it. In my city I live in, uh, it actually is like a little L.A. There's a lot of production going on here. It has been for years. Uh, there's been quite a bit of it moved towards Georgia, but they're coming back here to the Carolinas where I live. I have uh, always known and seen that Hollywood likes to pick some of these wrestlers that can perform because we're already we're already on that plateau. we got that plateau of wrestling. We're already a performer. We know how to act. We know how to do physical stuff. That's all Hollywood requirements right there. And then if you got the body and you know how to act uh, and you know how to do action work, you're, you're perfect for their roles. So Hollywood has started to see that's where they're starting to put their their action heroes. Like years ago, you had Schwarzenegger, Ben Diesel, you had uh, Sly. Those guys weren't wrestlers. They had certain aspects about them that were qualified to be good at. But now Hollywood's starting to pull the, the wrestlers because they've seen how well, like The Rock, Batista. Batista's starting to really blow up now in the movies. And then you have uh, John Cena starting to work in the movie. And then you get Stone Cold. He did a little bit of stuff. And I think he's more now on the talk show hosting things like you are. He's got a podcast thing going on, too. You know, some TV shows. You know, I started about my sixth year in the wrestling. I had some people come up to me wanting to uh, get me to do some movie work. So I started doing it. I've done a lot of short films, done a lot of a lot of movies, uh, TV shows. been in a lot of stuff. Uh, actually, there's been some... There was one of my biggest auditions. I blew it. My agent had to sit me in. Um, she told me I had to come see this audition. She couldn't talk about it over the phone because it was that big. And I remember my head wasn't right. And I'm not going to go into it on radio why my head wasn't right. It's a personal thing. But today I could have aced it. But back then when I did this audition, I was going to be working with Jason Statham. And the film was written by Sylvester Stallone. And it's actually um, it's called Homefront. You can look at it, you can view it online. It's a, it's a big movie, and I blew that. I, uh, I didn't get the audition. I auditioned, but I didn't make it. Just because my head went right. But that was that movie there. Would have, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now if I was in that movie. You never know where life takes you, though, Texas. Yeah, yeah, yep. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to look back at it like that either. I'm just going to be like, you know what? I'm where I'm at. I'm happy. If I die, I'd want to come back and be me again. And God put me in the spot I'm at. I'm going to live with it, and I'm happy. You know, I am. I'm really a happy man. I do regret it. But I'm not going to let it affect my life. Yeah, yeah that's that's the right spirit and to take. And I'm and I'm, and I'm proud. Yeah, and I'm proud to be on your show. It's just something I like to do. It's, it's just a good thing, and I appreciate you having me. By the way, uh, I also um, appreciate these people out here listening to us. You know? I was going to say, you know, if people go to your your website, texasjanie.com, there is a section with the, your show reels on it, and it shows. Some of the parts that you've played in, in the view of the movies that you've been in, and I've noticed that with the the movies that are on there, you definitely play that the, the big kind of silent guy with that kind of quiet intensity. Yeah, 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 and I can do dialogue too. I, there's, I like to do more dialogue, but yeah, I've got that that silent intensity for sure. Do you have a favorite genre of movie? Definitely, James Bond. Hands down, you know, like Batista. James, Dave Batista, he did a, a villain in the last James Bond movie. Uh, Spectra. I'm okay. jealous for it. I tell you, that was perfect for him. But I, my, my hat tips off to the guy. But yeah, James Bond movies and Marvel. Marvel, you know, you know, like the Avengers. That's the kind of stuff. Superhero things like that. Batman. And again, of course, you know, I like all kinds of movies. You know, actually, I, I've got some stuff coming up. Uh, I got some soap operas that may be uh, interested in it. Uh, and I'll do, I'll do anything. I can. I'll, I'll play old Hermit. 
if I have to. So like, I like the good A A source movies that are like you know 007, Marvel things like that. And I'm sure you know you can. I could envision you as even a, a Marvel villain. You know, I mean you're you're six two and two fifty, two sixty, two eighty. Two eighty. Okay, yeah. Two eighty. Yeah. That, yeah, don't be don't be shorting me up on TV or radio now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can't get Texas mad. You see, let me explain something to you. If you've never seen what Texas looks like, like I said, check check around on the website so you kind of get a feel for for what he looks like. And this is a man who could probably pick me up by my skull between his thumb and his forefinger, fold me up like a pocket square, and stick it in his jacket pocket. Ladies and gentlemen, he, ladies and gentlemen, he has forgotten that he's from New York. So if I really had to choose how to roll him up, he would be rolled up like a cannoli. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you get extra points for knowing yeah. what a cannoli is. Yeah, I, I eat cannolis all the time. There's a there's some friends of mine that opened up a, a deli. They call it New York Deli. It's here in my town. And they're from they're from Brooklyn. And the guy's wife and him, they make homemade bagels and cannolis. And they actually have water shipped down here from New York to make this stuff. That's supposed to be the secret, the water. Sure, I've heard so that. That's what they say. And they're good friends of mine. Yeah. I want to add something to the website, uh, www.texaschaney.com. That is my website for everybody. But there's also, um, I've got something new that is really cool. Steve Joyner, my publicist, had told me about it. It's called Cameo. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, No, I haven't. Okay. It is the 21st century autograph. Basically, what you do is viewers can go on Cameo. Let's just say you you have a sister and her birthday is next week. Well... You can go to Cameo and uh, look on my site, Texas Cheney, and you can go on there. You can find my profile. And what it does, the people can go in and pay money. Mine's only 15 bucks, and all my proceeds go to St. Jude's. Some people are up to 2500 like you know, some of the NFL. I mean, there's some famous people in there. I mean, big-time guys like Brett Favre, football player, rappers. they got to categorize rap, uh, rock, actors, professional wrestlers stuff like that. So you go in there and you click wish list. And basically, you go in there and you type, say, for you got a sister. Say, it's my sister's birthday. It's next Friday. Can you please wish her a happy birthday? This is her name. This is how old she's going to be. Pay the $15. My website notifies me that I got uh, a job to do. And then what I do is I post that. I go on and I click it and I make a personal happy birthday greetings to your sister you know, for up to one minute. And then it sends you a link to your email and you can let your sister see it. Her favorite uh, wrestler, her favorite actor, whoever it may be, she gets to have a, a, a personal greetings from that person. Isn't that a cool thing? It's got family <laughs> That sounds like a lot of fun, and, and I think given your background, you could probably do some interesting video calls, too. Yeah, 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 it is pretty interesting. Um, I, I like to change it up sometimes. It's really funny because I have it on there like, you know, if you want to get a shout-out from me, birthday, divorce, any special, you know, motivational, you know, motivational stuff, you know, and it's really funny because I, I kind of stole that. I can't say that was original. If I had one other person there, they were laughing. They're like, look, you know, any kind of occasion you want, you know, if you're getting married, birthday, divorce, you know, so whatever you want, you know, I'll give you a shout-out. You know? You're having a celebrity get up with you and giving you uh, a shout-out. It's pretty damn cool. I mean, there's no other way. There's nothing else like Cameo with a C, Cameo. You'll see me on there. Just click my, click my name on the search bar. Okay, that sounds like fun. You know, I could imagine, like, if it was, like, a video call, if, you know, you, you could record stuff with, like, breakaway furniture and maybe, you know, say somebody was having a birthday and say, you know, have a great birthday and then take somebody and just throw them through a table or something like that. Yeah, and I, and I could do that. Yeah, that's right. Sure can. Give them a little bit of action, too. You'd be like your own personal that's pay-per-view. 
Yeah, yeah, you kind of give me an idea there. That's, that's pretty good with it, yeah. Okay, so I know you said you had a couple of projects coming up, but you can't really get into too much information yeah. about them because yeah. a lot of stuff, is, a lot of legal stuff has to be finalized. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't mind giving you some stuff. I got a, I got, so there's, there's, some, there's, a, there's a couple, one's a Western movie coming up. One of them is a, like, uh, a gladiator movie. Uh, and I've got uh, the soap opera gig coming up. And also got a possibility of having a, a cooking show coming up for myself. So I got four things in role position now, and that's that's just a short role. You know? Okay, I hate to jump on a stereotype, but if you're doing the cooking cooking show, is it barbecue? Well, I would prefer it to be barbecue. Uh, we haven't gone too close to the details. I was just basically asked if I would do it, and I replied yes. And that would be that would be something I would definitely recommend because barbecue is very lean, very healthy, a lot of less fat, and I would definitely uh, put that in there as a, as a as a pointer that we should we're doing a cooking show. Let's take it outside and you know do it old school grill. You know? Yeah, I want to point out to the listeners that. You know, even though Texas isn't wrestling as much and he's going into acting, he still keeps himself in good shape, and he actually has a workout after we're done with our interviews, and I appreciate him taking the time before his uh, workout. And he, actually, you know, he, actually, he looks into eating well also. Yeah, actually, guys, I'm working out right now. Right now, I'm actually doing some flat. I don't know if you can hear me <laughs> grunt, but I, I'm a multi-talented. Yep, I'm always going to work out. When I'm 70 years old, I'm going to come into the gym with a cane. <laughs> This is the first interview I've ever had where someone was doing squats in between questions. Yeah, yeah. My mother told me there was nobody else like me. She said, when God made me, he body slammed the mold. (laughs) (laughs) Which, uh, that made me feel proud, Mom. Thank you. But, yeah, I'm working out while we talk out there. I felt like it was... uh, yeah, because I mean, I don't want that to be offensive to anyone. Because to me, I'm proud that I can work out and do something I love, along with doing something else I love, and that's entertaining the public. So I'm working out and entertaining right now. I'm double love or double dip, and I love it. It's like recent test. Well, folks, we have a lot to look forward to with Mr. Texas Cheney. I'd like to thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Uh, before Absolutely. you go, though. Uh, I have a request. Uh-huh. Could you do one more? Yes, Absolutely. That's it. i got to tell the story where that comes from first, and then I'll do it. God bless. I love my Uncle Jim. He was a uh, he was a badass Marine and a Purple Heart veteran. He took out some big names that I, I know that I, I can't say uh, as, as honoring him. And he used to always, as a little kid, he always would come up to me and he'd make the noise I'm getting ready to make. And I always wanted to make it. You know, everybody's got their own little noise, like Ric Flair, and I wanted to always do something original. And I was like, you know what? I always would walk around my whole life doing with Uncle Jim, making that noise. And I made that part of my profession. Uncle Jim, I love you. This one goes out to everybody, my Uncle Jim. Texas Cheney, again, thank you so much, and best of luck to you with all your future endeavors, and we'll be looking for you on that screen, sir. Hey, Rebels, we're not done yet. We'll be right back after this word from Anchor. Hey there, Rebels. I am sitting ringside today at the Chopin Chalet with my guest this week. He is an actor. He's a model. He has been a wrestling manager and a pro wrestler. And he's also the author of a book called When It Was Real, which is about, guess what, pro wrestling. And he's actually spent time in the ring, and he's going to tell us some ringside stories. So everybody, say a nice Sherpa Chalet hello to Nikita Bresnikov. How are you doing, Nikita? Good evening, Jim. I'm happy to be here. Your wrestling story starts when you were a cop in Baltimore. <clears throat> yes, actually, it was before that because as a fan. And I would say just about everybody begins as a fan. And I, that's why I know we'll get to the book later, but the 
whole reason for it was how it touched us, how it made us understand that there was, like in my case, an abused child. There was somebody there that actually cared about us and for us. And even though, yeah, I know you're talking about, oh, you're watching these goofy wrestlers, it's like they spoke to us. On those promos, when Chief or Bruno said, man, I need you to come and support me because I got this tough match, hey, we took that to heart. And then we were there to support them because, you know, we felt like if the roles were reversed, they certainly would be there to help us. So, hey, you know, that, that was family to us. We loved it, man. So, yeah, I, uh, you know, I was involved that way. Then I met Nikolai. It was an afternoon show in Baltimore. I was still in the patrol division, so I saw the advertisement in the 7-Eleven on one of those cardboard posters that becomes a staple in wrestling fans and wrestlers' lives. And with it, you know, it said he's going to be at an afternoon show. So I'm an avid tape collector. I, well, now it's DVDs, of course, but back then it was tape. So I thought, well, let me see if I can get uh, close to Nikolai there, talk to him. Maybe he can give me a line on some things. So when he came out to sell his gimmicks, I was there, and you know, he's like, hello, Sergeant. Never met me before, didn't know me or anything like that. But And I, right off the bat, we had a, a bond. And I told him, you know, I'm looking for matches on you. He's like, ah, I have nothing. Now, please, uh, if you make for me, I pay you. I said, no, you're not going to pay me nothing, man. Jeez, after all those years, what you did for us, no, you're not paying anything. So I, you know, made some tapes for him of his matches, gave it to him, and then we become friends. So you know what the natural progression is. It's like, hey, Nikolai, I want to get in the ring. And he's like, no, 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 you have a good job. Uh, everybody gets in the business, gets hurt. Uh, you'll be my manager. And I'm like, man, I don't want to be a stupid manager. It's, you know, it's like nothing. So after a while, he convinced me, and we did it. And then it became the, you know, it was just like there. I'm in the ring. I, the first match was with Duke the Dumpster, Duke Drosy back, it was November 16th, 1995. We did a double shot. Then the, that night was with Neidhart, and we're in the ring. I'm working him a little before the match, and I'm looking at him like, man, this guy knows what's going on, right? I mean, because it, it looked like he's going to kill me, you know? And it's like, geez, Nikolai comes over and you know, kind of like stops whatever's going to happen. And uh, it was like, man, Nikolai, this is wild. You know, here I am right in the middle of all of this. And so some people would say, well, I guess it's like a dream come true. And I'm like, are you crazy? I never thought I could be a part of any of that. I know I never dreamt it. I never thought it. I just, I'm the luckiest SOB on earth, I'll tell you. And Nicole, I trained you how to ring wrestle, right? We showed you how to do everything? Yeah, I had a good background already, martial arts, from, you know, police academy, boxing, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was now, you know how to defend yourself. Now I want you to do it without killing the guys you're going to work with. You know, there's fighting and then there's working. So it was like, okay, yeah, whatever, you know, I'm, I'm here to learn, whatever you say. So, you know, yeah, I picked up everything. And then working him as the manager at nights when we would, and whenever we would do the show, I'm always working with, you know, main events with him. So I'm learning from Superfly Snook and Sergeant Slaughter. And then when the Sheik would be with us, you know, and even Bruno. I worked a couple of matches with Bruno when he was, uh, refereeing so it was like hey you know i got trained at killer kowalski a couple of times with him he was referee so it was like it wasn't just nikolai i learned from so many others as well so that was just like i absorbed it too because i always believe and i have kept this as a staple in my life shut up and listen especially to the old timers because they got there 
some way, somehow, they made it. So listen to what they tell you because, you know, they're going to make it or they did make it. Now, if you want to make it, you know, just pay attention to what's happening and uh, see where you go from there. Before wrestling, you know, it was all, it was about 85% managing, almost probably 90%. But then I'd say about four or five years into it, I said, Nikolai, I'm bigger than a lot of these guys. He's like, yeah, yeah, what the heck? We've become tag team. So we did that. And then, you know, we did the tag team thing. That was with the Dino Sana, the WWWA, Worldwide Wrestling Alliance. So was definitely, to me, I, and when people talk about the book or, like I always say, the day the music died, was the day when Hulk Hogan took the belt from the Iron Sheet. And I don't mean that in a negative way. It's just it was different. It became a different kind of a situation as far as uh, uh, how we viewed things because people, our guys like Chiefs, and uh, those guys of that era, they were getting older, and it wasn't going to be able to stay the way it was. I give Vince all the credit in the world. I say, hey, definitely is a smart guy. He's got more billions than I do. So who am I to argue with him? It, it really he turned that corner with sports entertainment. Things kind of went a little bit crazy for a while there. They had troubles. Ted Turner coming in, and he was trying to run things his way, and it was like, well, you know, Vince still even battling all that money, he still came through and was successful. And, you know, it was like the cartoons of 90, you know, which him and Steve Austin, it was like, hey, I didn't miss any of that because on Monday Night Raw, that is, because it was entertaining. You wanted to see what the heck are they going to do tonight, you know? Else Stone Cold going to try to put the screws to Vince. And it was fun to watch. It really was. Again, entertainment, but still... You know, it's got wrestling to it. You're doing it in the ring. So, okay, boom, boom. They were able to get it done. When you were growing up and watching wrestling, did you have uh, certain favorite wrestlers? Oh, yeah. Chief J. Strongbow, without a doubt, who became a dear friend of mine the last 10 years of his life. It's funny. You listen to people like Jim Cornette, and he doesn't say in a disrespectful way, but he'll say, you know, I, I look back and I see matches of Strongbow, and I, I just shake my head. It's like, I don't get it. All he's got to do is get in the ring and throw his head back and shake his shoulders and go into the war dance, and the crowd pops. He said, you got people killing themselves out there, and they can't get even a quarter of that reaction. You know, they get a little bit of a, you know, a clap or two here or there, but, man, Strongbow, he let the guy, the opponent, get the heat on him, and then next thing you know, he makes his comeback, and the, he's, he owns the crowd. Nothing to it. So it's like, yeah, that was it. You know, because, again, it mattered what they were doing. And last year when I was at Cauliflower Alley, the, uh, when the book was released, they had the Luna Vachon Battle Royal, and I was part of that as a manager and a couple of other matches that went on the next over the subsequent nights and it was like you know i'm watching these young kids in the ring and it's like my god you're killing yourselves there's no way you could do this like the old days on a nightly basis and try to make a living out of it because you couldn't do it there's no way you can get up tomorrow and just be like okay boom i'm ready to you know roll let's go hit the road let's do this there's no way you're going to be able to sit in the car after the bumps you were taking and then it kind of becomes the trying to outspot each other. And after a while, the spots lose their value. And, you know, whereas before a couple of the ma opening matches, first three matches, it was like, just go out there and, and heat them up. That's it. Just get everybody ready. Then you built to the, your main event. And it was like, don't you dare take the heat from that main event. But today, 
I, I tell you, Jim, I can't tell one from the other. It's just, you know, people dress different, they look different, but all the matches, they look the same. So, yeah, Nikolai used to say, you got to keep it simple. People, they want to be entertained, but they don't want to think. So don't go out there and make it too confusing. You know, you got six people come in, make a run-ins, and this is going on. Then you got three-way matches, and all. it's like, oh, man, you get a headache after a while. It's like, whew, you're almost glad it's over. Where with us, we were crying when the match was over. We didn't want it to end. The earlier years of wrestling that you're a big fan of, a lot of those wrestlers, they, they weren't showy, but they just had that sort of appeal. Like you said, they knew how to light up a room without doing much. I mean, Bruno wasn't one to wear crazy costumes. He didn't do wild moves, but people kind of related to him as like a working class kind of guy who was just you know strong as an ox. Well, and he was humble, and that always came through because he didn't act like uh, I'm better than anybody. He was one of us. And, hey, he did come from, you know, surviving in Italy, living in the mountains with the, the war, with the Nazis, you know, occupying their town and having to live in the mountains. And he almost died from starvation a couple of times. And it was like you don't lose sight of that. Like Nikolai's family came from communism, he was Croatian, and his mother was Russian. So he knew what it was like to have the communists take over. And it was a situation where he did not enjoy that character. In the beginning, when he was first in 1970, when he was part of the Mongols, you know, that wasn't a big deal. It wasn't any kind of USA versus Russia stuff or Mongolia. It was just, okay, the Mongols, they, their size and their appearance alone was enough to get them over. And then when he returned as Nikolai Volkov in 1974, he wore all black, black trunks, black boots. It was nothing, no Soviet flag, nothing like that. Didn't need it. He was a powerhouse. But then in 84, with him and the Sheik, when Nikolai returned from Florida, when the expansion took place, that's when they dressed him in red, gave him the flag, and it took Freddie Blassie to convince him to go along with it and to do it because he didn't want to do it because he said, man, I hate those bastards. Why do I want to act like that? And he said, well, because you're going to show people what it's all about, Nikolai. You're going to show them uh, what they're like and how they treat people. He, of course, to me, that's probably one of the, the most drawing heat tag teams of all time because to get in and out of the buildings, it was a fight. And then he said in Madison Square Garden, they have to take them out in an ambo at, night, at the end of the night, hide them in the back of you know, State Athletic Commission always had Dr. Ambo standing by in case somebody got injured. There would park blocks away, obviously, several blocks away. And then at the end of the night, get in the back of the Ambo, and, you know, they just drive out of the building like they're going back to the station and drop those guys off at their cars, and they get home safe. But uh, the battles with Sergeant Slaughter, see, a lot of people give Hulk Hogan all the pat on the back for the expansion, but it was like, yeah, he was a big part of it. But you can't forget Sergeant Slaughter and Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik that year as well, and sure. Piper and everybody else. Like, that's, it was a combined effort that got that over. And it must have been kind of scary for him, because I know when they would get in the ring, uh, the Sheik would grab the microphone and he'd yell, like, Iran, number one, Russia, number one, USA, pah! And, you know, just to kind of fire up the crowd and everything like that so they would get all the heat. Having to get out of places like Madison Square Garden or even if they were wrestling down south or something like that, I could imagine you know, some of the situations that they probably could have faced. Well, Nikolai told the way the Soviet National Anthem began, it was actually 
down in Louisiana, and it was Grizzly Smith, and he was the booker for Bill Watts, and he forgot to bring the tape that night. But they say, you know, I ain't going to trust anybody. Nicolai, give us the tape. We bring it every night. Don't worry. You'll have it. So I said, okay, you know, here's the tape. Boom, boom. He, his mother sent it to him, so they play the music. And uh, Grizzly Smith forgot the tape one night. So Bill Watts said, oh, you screwed up the whole gimmick for the night. I'm going to give you a big fine. And Nikolai said, no, no, you don't have to do that. I could sing it. And he said, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. L- let me go out. I'll sing Soviet National Anthem. So he said, he went out and... They set it up perfect. They said, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have some bad news for you. Nikolai Volkov's tape was stolen, so tonight we cannot play the Soviet national anthem. So, of course, everybody, yeah, everybody's happy. <laughs> They're all excited. And he said, but, however, instead, Nikolai Volkov is going to sing the Soviet And they're like, oh. He said, when he started singing, and they started stopping, and he said, first time in my life, I was scared to death. He said, I tell you, I thought they were going to just come to the ring and, and kill me. He said it, it went over big, and that, from that point on, they said, oh, forget the tape. You sing. This is beautiful. A uh, cool question about the Iron Sheik. He was actually one of the Shah of Iran's bodyguards? Absolutely, yes. That was true. He certainly was. And he was the real deal as well. He could get out there, and he was, uh, even though he came from that country, he trained the United States Olympic teams in 72 and 76 before Vern Gagne picked him up. And, you know, Sheik, even right now, uh, I know he's not the best health. I wouldn't want to fight the guy. He's pretty good. He knows what he's doing, and he can get it done. He certainly is the real deal. And he says that many times himself, you know, I'm the real deal. I'm the Kurt Angle. It's like, yeah, yeah you know, he can uh, certainly profess all of these things because without a doubt has done what many people profess to do. But, you know, like Bob Backlund, it was legitimate. Backlund could get out there, and he's 70. And there's no way I'd want to fight Bob Backlund, I'll tell you. Uh, even today, he's doing headstands and all this other kind of stuff. Backlund, is, uh, he stayed in shape. He took care of himself. He got everything done the right way. You know, it, he had good diet and stuff like that. More than anything, he always carried the banner of wrestling. He was always respectful. And that's why in the beginning of the, the change, we'll say, with, you know, when Hogan took over, and, you know, Backlund apparently was invited to be part of it, and he didn't want to do that. You know, anybody that was some kind of kooky character or anything like that, in his opinion, he just wanted to be Bob Backlund. He's a wrestler, two-time NCAA champion, and that's all he wanted. Plus, he said, you know, my and this is from his book, you know, my daughter was in school, and there's no way I wanted to go out and perform in a way that would bring, you know, for all these years he was running in Connecticut, wrestling schools for children and things like that. It's like, man, this guy's an idol. He was legitimate. You know, he's out there giving back to the community. So it's like, man, I can't turn around now and become some kind of a, of a heel character. It's just not going to work. But then years later, you know, he took some time off and then came back as Mr. Backlund, which personally I never liked it. You know, I don't remember him for being Mr. Backlund as much as I do for him being Bob Backlund, the all-American, that was my favorite. When you were wrestling, uh, did you have a, a favorite match that you were in? Eh, not really, because I, I felt so fortunate to be any part of it at all. 
I think the the best experience I had as a manager was Heroes of Wrestling because that was just like, wow, everybody is here. It's such a big event. It was supposed to go further, deeper, last longer, but, eh, you know, it's not that easy. Everybody thinks uh, these kind of reductions, you know, you got $20 bills to blow your nose with, and it's like, nah, it's a lot of money involved with this stuff. And if things don't go completely the way you're hoping, it's just not going to come out on the long end of it. So it was, to me, you know, that night everything was done spe- like a huge spectacular. So many people were there, all the names. We worked with the Bushwaggers, Nikolai and Sheik, and it was just fabulous. We had a wonderful time. Everybody performed well. You know, I hear people say certain things about the pay-per-view. Some things went wrong, but all in all, to me, if you badmouth it, it's like going to Yankee Stadium on Old Timers Day and booing somebody that, you know, like strikes out or whatever. It's like, come on, seriously? You're going to go out there and knock these guys after all they've done through the years? You're going to sit there now and say that they're, you know, they're this or they're that? It's like, hey, respect them for what they're at least trying to do. Nobody said, hey, you're going to see these guys in their prime. You're going to see them at a, you know, the state that they're in, the present time. And they're going to give you all they've got to give. That's it. They did their best. And if you can't accept that, well, then just leave it alone. Don't go out there and knock them. Yeah. And, you know, talking about paying respect to the classic wrestlers who really brought them to the dance, so to speak. I I remember hearing that uh, for years they wanted Bruno Sammartino in the WWE Hall of Fame. And he really didn't want to have any part of it. Then he finally just kind of gave in and said, okay. I don't know exactly what happened. You know, there there was a lot of rumors money, this, that, or the other, but Bruno certainly paved the way for wrestling. He saved them, the company, several times. So it was like, okay, you know, at some point they're going to have a building. They're going to put this legitimate Hall of Fame brick-and-mortar building together. So it's like, can't have one without Bruno San Martino. And Bruno had to be a part of it. So I guess, you know, this is my speculation. I don't know. I wasn't involved with any of it, but I think Bruno probably thought, yeah, you know what, enough is, time has passed, it's time to let it go, and put him in the Hall of Fame when it happens. Of course, he's in that Hall of Fame that they just do up on the stage, and the plaques and all that, but when they actually have one that's a building, a brick-and-mortar building, he will be in it, so it's like, good, he deserves to be, because how could we have anything and you wouldn't include Bruno San Martino. It would just be ridiculous. You know, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your book, When It Was Real. Yes. Now, I started that project. Oh, boy. It took 10 years to get it out there. And when I say that, it took me about two years to compile it, but it took me eight more years, or I'm going to say six years, to find somebody that would get behind it. You know, I got a lot of, well, you know, another wrestling book. Who cares? It's about the 70s. Who cares? And then when I came upon a site, Scott Teal, from Crowbar Press, I said, well, you know, let me try Scott Teal. He seems to be a historian, and he really gets behind these kind of projects. So I did. You know, I contacted Scott Teal, and then he was like, wow, you know, uh, it's interesting. But I tell you what, I'm, I'm not really into it right now. I, thanks for thinking of me and trying me again another time. And I was like, yeah, crap. So I did. It took me three tries. But the third time, he says, all right, I tell you what. Send me a sample, and I'll take a look at it. So I sent Scott a sample, and a couple of weeks goes by, and he's like, you know what? we got to do this, Nikita. 
this is something unusual, he said, because you're writing it from the fan's perspective, how you saw it and how it affected your life. And then, of course, you know, yeah, I got into it, but the relationships that I had with people like Strongbow and Nikolai and Bruno, different Kowalski, it was like, I can give a different view, but it's more about how we, in the neighborhoods, how we viewed it, what it meant to us, how we absorbed it. And it wasn't just, okay, we had one hour every week, that was it, from four to five on a Saturday afternoon. And then monthly, the shows would be there. And that we didn't turn the television off and go about whatever we were doing. We kept living it. We kept talking about it. And when you went to the arena, it was like Christmas every month. We just We were nuts. We loved it. So it was like, wow, you know, this is just super fantastic. Everything was beautiful. Everything was great. Uh, the color. I learned so much over the years, recent years with film, and you have to have the proper lighting. And if you don't, it then doesn't matter. You could have whoever named the greatest actor in the world, and it's going to be garbage. So they were smart. When they would turn out the house lights and turn on those ring lights, man, the color was vibrant. When somebody bled, ooh, baby. Well, I guess, you know, call us whatever, demented, perverted, crazy, but we were frenzied. If you hurt the person that we love, you had hell to pay. But then when that person got revenge, oh, we were in the frenzy because we loved it. So it definitely had... Uh, the, See, that experience, I feel sorry for people today that are fans because you can't go back to that. It was innocent because you didn't have the net. You didn't have all this yak, 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 telling you what the hell's going to happen next, what's going to go on. It was, uh, unless you had a friend in another city who had access, felt like he saw his show in Boston and then he'd call you and tell you what happened. You know, he'd be like, wow, you compare notes a little bit, but didn't have that leak. Nobody, business was protected back then, so nobody dared speak. They didn't even travel together, you know, face and heel, that kind of thing. So this was a situation of, wow, you know, it, you could enjoy it, even though people are whispering in your ear in some cases, laughing in your face, telling you it was this, it was that, but it's like, hey, man, I don't care. I'm loving it. I'm enjoying it. Just let me be with my wrestling. And it was the greatest catharsis for everything. You left your troubles outside the door, walked into the arena, and it was a world of magic. It was like superheroes came to life. You, you probably had like such a brotherhood with all of the wrestlers, you know, whether they were faces or heels. But yet, I guess when they traveled, they had to put up the image like, oh, well, I don't like this guy, so we're not going to be seen in the airport together or we won't be seen having lunch together. Yeah, and that was hard. It caused a hardship in a lot of cases, traveling and, you know, camaraderie, things like that. But, you know, don't you dare get caught because the promoter is going to give you a big fine, if not just say, don't show up tomorrow, we don't need you anymore. So it's like, yeah, it was tough. But that's what they put forth. That's what they put forward to keep it, like I call it true fiction. It was legitimate to us, and you didn't want to ruin that. If it was going to be ruined, it certainly was not going to be ruined because somebody on the inside blew it. You know, he always had these goofy reporters want to come out and tell you about this or that. They're going to expose the business. Like, man, stop it with that already. What's it for Pete's sake? That's why I saw something online a few days ago. Somebody reposted when John Stossel got slapped. And it's like, well, you know what? You thought you were, you know, 
I don't know, whatever, whatever he thought. I can't speak for the guy. But it's like, here you are. You stick your head in the lion's mouth like that. It's going to get chewed off. And there's a lot of stories about, you know, whether Schultz was told to do it or not. But it's like, you know something? You decided, Stossel, to stand there and, you know, you're going to act like, I guess he thought he, it was, could never happen that somebody would strike out like that, but he did. And then it was like, okay, well, you kind of asked for it, you know, like the old commercial Toyota. You asked for it, you got it. Boom. So it was like, well, that's that. <laughs> you know, and do I, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, no, that, was, that wasn't legitimate. It's like, yeah, yeah, it was. There was lawsuits, the whole routine. He nailed him good. And oh, and Schultz, he was at the um, he was honored at the Cauliflower Alley last year. And what was it? Most inspirational, outstanding. He got a, a you know nice award, which he deserved without a doubt. And he talked about it a little bit because he's got a, it's in his book, you know. So he said, I'm not. I would prefer you buy the book and you know, read about it. But uh, he said I'll talk about a little bit of it. And it's like you know I bled in this business. I've been hurt. I've been hungry. He said, I'd be, I don't want to have anybody come up and make a fool of it or, or laugh at it like that. And, you know, for what, ratings? It's like, come on. No. Too many people. There's, you know, Jim, there have been people that died in the ring over the years. And it's, it happens, you know, and you got Draws, Darren Draws, though. He's still crippled. And Bruno had the broken neck. And there's a lot of people over the years that suffered injuries that, uh, hey, no, we're not going to have somebody laugh about this or think you're going to expose it. It's like, I, I really loved Vince. I don't know if you remember seeing the whole show. Everybody always remembers Schultz, of course. But uh, when Vince was, he sat down with Stossel and he was questioned and it's this, it's that. And he said, well, if it's not sport and it's not a, the entertainment, what would you call it? And Vince said, I don't know. You know, it's kind of like, kiss my ass. <laughs> it's like, I love the guy. Well, it's like, you know what, I'm sitting here, I'll, I'll give you the time of day, and I'll let you answer your goofy questions, but that's it. You know, I'm not going to go deep with you on this. You don't deserve my time. But, hey, actually, Vince is smart. It's free advertisement, and uh, he took advantage of it, so that was good. Could you talk a little bit about Cauliflower Alley? It's a wonderful organization that goes to support, you know, wrestlers in need. Like last year, Kamala really got a big, uh, they sent him uh, a plaque. But before that, he, I think it was Chris Jericho that paid uh, his back taxes on his home because they were getting ready to evict him. With Cauliflower Hour, it's called the Ring of Friendship. You know, people and wrestlers from the past in need, they come to the rescue with donations or whatever. But it's also a great time of camaraderie. I, I really had a wonderful time being there. Uh, you see so many people you've never met, friends that you know and you've never really met face-to-face, -face, like a couple of my Canadian buddies that were there that I talked to over the phone, like Bob Johnson, and the great Bob Johnson, let me clarify that. He's a wonderful man and some great accomplishments in his own career. Len Phillips, people that I had talked to many, many times, but I just never had the opportunity to get up to Canada, and, and then, and nor they here. And then we, we met, and it was like, hey, this is wonderful. And it was just, it, you know, the wrestling was in the evening. Daytime, they had seminars, and it was just fun time, camaraderie, where you get together, 
and you talk and uh, you know, just hang out even. So that was just a wonderful experience. And that was my first. It's been going on, oh boy, I don't know how many years, countless number of years. You know, you brought up an interesting point too, because I think, I don't know if a lot of people realize that the life of a professional wrestler, not, not easy. I mean, they're on TV, but they're responsible for their transportation. If they get hurt, they're basically paying their own medical bills. They're not like pampered celebrities or anything like that. No, no, not at all. And uh, acting the same thing, unless you're the big money maker, then yeah, you know, you've got people there ready to wipe your nose if they see it dripping. But other than that, uh, you know, okay, you get your payday and it's not all that great, believe it or not, even when you have a principal role. And sometimes even as a lead, it depends on the budget of the movie. But it's not all that glorious that people think. And with wrestling, it's worse because your private contract, number one. And it's kind of like, well, you know what? This ain't cutting it for you. Step aside because I got like people in line waiting to take your spot, you know? And if this don't cut it for you, well, see it. Thanks for coming by. So, of course, it's what you do because you love it. What's next for Nikita Bresnikov? Well, I got some projects in the works. Nothing I can speak of right now. So, for me, you know, I'm just taking it day by day, see what's happening, and, and then uh, see where things play out. You think maybe there's another book in you? No. No, <laughs> not that one, at least. Because, and re, you know, I come out with a big no, because it took so long, and it took two years to edit. I never probably finished that story, but it took two years with Scott, day by day, to edit it, and we never fought. We were always uh, on the same page, literally, with things, and he said he, he learned a lot, because he didn't know a lot about the Northeast and the WWWF, but, you know, he was grateful for the uh, the opportunity to kind of live that time, and I couldn't have done it without him because my writing, because I'm a retired detective sergeant also from Baltimore Police, so I wrote like a police, and it was like, he said, Nikita, this will never sell. Uh, I got to trim it up for you. So it's like, sure, sure, you know, and the content was always there. It wasn't like, he, you know, he changed the content or anything like that, so it was like, yeah, we, we worked well together. I'm very proud, and he surprised me because I got first before the book was released, he sent me these cards, advertisement cards, and I'm reading it. It says paperback, 286 pages, which is pretty good. I mean, uh, I, I sent him about 580, so he really had some work to do. But I'm looking, and it's like 227 black and white images. I'm like, what the heck? I think I gave Scott you know, maybe 40 pictures tops. You got George Napolitano. The, uh, his picture for the cover, you know, George gave his blessings on that, but it's like, oh man, I hope I don't have to worry about copywriting. <clears throat> and then I looked, was the newspaper clippings. I mean, man, I'll tell you, Jim, I was a big fan. I still am because I told the wife one time, I said, yeah, I'd like to do a book with just newspaper clippings. It'd be neat. Well, pretty much I got my wish. And it's not every story we talk about, but a large majority, the cards that Scott has a uh, newspaper clipping to go along with it. So, and then he's got a section with just like different uh, a collage of, and there's like four or five pages of pictures of me to verify that, yeah, I actually did know these people and work with them and meet them and newspaper clippings to me. I, I really enjoy that. That's nice. Nice touch. Yeah, I wanted to add that uh, if anyone's ever seen Nikita's Facebook page, there are so many great pictures of wrestling cards from the 70s. And uh, you've got your little commentary on there, too. So it definitely makes it a lot more nostalgic. <laughs> For people who say, yeah, like I remember watching these, you know, all-star wrestling and championship wrestling, you know, back in the 70s and before the Hulkamania, before the music died, as you said. Yes. Now, see, with what I do on Facebook, 
and some people think, well, those are shots in the book. It's like, no, none of those pictures are in the book. And my book stops with 1979, the 70s. That was it, 19 December 31st, 19, the last show was December 30th at 79. That's it. But I show things on the Facebook all the way up to 83 because I, I did enjoy that time as well. Some people have said, well, we're waiting for part two when you cover 80 to 83. And I could do it. And it would probably take two or three, maybe 400 pages. But it's like, no, nah, I just don't have the time like I did back then to get this book done. Never say never, right? That's always the key to life. <laughs> if you never get around to it, Nikita, I don't blame you. I hear you, man. Well, his name is Nikita Bresnikov, and I would like to thank you for coming on down and sharing some stories with us. Jim, my pleasure. Always happy to talk wrestling and keep that circle of wrestling going. Good job. A very special thanks to Texas Chuck Cheney and Nikita Bresnikov for coming on down to the screening room at the Sherpa Chalet. We've included links to some of their recent stuff in our show notes. Be sure to subscribe to this show on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to leave us a nice review in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. You can also follow the show at my website, SharePollution.com. And you can follow me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at SharePollution. For the bell rings, Mr. Bruce, before you jump off the turnbuckle, quick, show him the door. Thanks for listening to Too Many Podcasts. Please disperse. You can go home now. I said you can go home now. Viva la Chapalition. Viva la Chapalition. <coughs> oh. Yell, come back now, you hear? <laughs>